This is the Future of the Future show. I am your host, Mateo Berbejillo. Anna Morris, thank you very much for being on the show. It is a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Mateo. It's a pleasure being here. Very good. Um, so, Anna, let's talk a little bit about um, leadership and why it is such an important skill for software engineers. And to talk about this, I want to get into your story, right? Learn more about you, how you grew up as a software engineer, uh, what you learned, mm -hmm. etc. So let's start from the from the beginning. How did you get interested in software engineering? From the very beginning, um, I think I was about 14 years old when uh, we first had a class on programming uh, in school. And I missed the first couple of weeks because I, I was out sick. Come back, there's this new subject and nobody understands what's going on. Right. Teacher said, says that we need to write a program. What? What is this? Don't understand anything. So I spent the first couple of weeks uh, confused, just like everybody else. Uh, there were a couple of boys uh, in the class that understood what it, what was needed to be done. Uh, but the reason for that is because they took classes out in programming outside of uh, school, and nobody else understood a single thing. And then one day, in a class, the teacher says, "And now you need to write a program that does this." But it's like, do you, do you know how to do it? No, no. Do you know it? And it suddenly hit me that I knew what to do. I could not explain why or how. It just clicked inside of my head. I couldn't explain it to the uh, to my friend. So <laughs> uh, it did not make me very popular that day. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a sudden spark inside of my brain. And uh, now I look back, loved it ever since. But uh, I learned how to explain things. <laughs> very, very important. Very important. Yeah. Um, where are you in your career today? Uh, so right now I'm an engineering manager at Peloton. Uh, as you might know, uh, during your career, you have to figure out uh, at one point, do you want to go to the IC track or do you want to go to the people manager track? And honestly, for me, that was never a question just because I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to lead people. And uh, here we are, loving every second. Very nice. And But how did you get interested in leadership and, and in learning more about leadership? I think that uh, there are a few things that were kind of like prerequisites to that. Uh, one of them is just naturally, I love organizing people. I love understanding people. Um, I also love, absolutely love helping people become a better version of themselves, become, reach their, uh, basically reach their potential. Right. And um, last but not least uh, was to say about 10 years ago, uh, I got very interested in understanding myself and understanding why I do things I do and who I am and what motivates me, how does my brain work, how does motivation work for me. And uh, so I went to the library and I took a bunch of books on psychology. I read all of them. I started understanding myself better, but also as a side effect, I started understanding uh, people better. And I realized that a lot of people 
have the same problems and they think that, oh my God, I'm an imposter. Everybody feels that way. It's just nobody really talks about that. But um, yeah, so that was, that was the prerequisite. Any specific type of psychology? Where did you start? Like, um... uh, so I've read a lot of books about how we think. So one of them is that I want to say it's Daniel Kahneman, something like that. It was uh, called Thinking Fast, fast and, and slow. slow. Yeah, Thinking Fast and Slow is, was mind blowing. Uh, also, really loved The Power of Habit. Mm-hmm. That was a very uh, super, if you haven't read it, uh, Charles Duhigg, uh, Power of Habit, fantastic. Um, yeah, and a, a lot of thing, uh, a lot of other books that all yes. compounded inside of my brain. And I think another thing that I also read during that time was um, biographies of people who started big things like Big Jumps and... Um, uh, God, what was their names? Uh, the guys that started Twitter. Oh. You know how I'm talking about. Yeah, I know, I know, oh, I know. I, I, you know what? Um, I, I, I was talking to another person uh, the other day, and he has a game that it's called Anomia. Anomia is the word for where you for when you cannot find the word. So what is going on with us right now is we both have mm-hmm. anomia. We know the yeah. word. We just, we have it on the tip of our tongue. We just can't say it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, exactly that. But yeah, so read a lot of books about uh, leadership and technology. And that was also super inspirational. Very nice. Um, what was your first experience leading a team? What was it like? That was so cool. So um, I was working for a big company and then I thought, I thought to myself, always worked for big companies. I've never worked for a startup. Let me go and try working for a startup. Then I found a startup, uh, it was called Jet Black, and um, I decided to treat it as my personal, um, like as as my personal um, trial of different things that I wanted to do. One, I wanted to work for a startup. Two, I wanted to see how do I become a manager because, like I said, I, I knew that I wanted to be a manager. So uh, during my first uh, one-on-one with my new manager, uh, I told him that I wanted his job. Unlike what I expected the reaction to be, he was all about that. But his name was Sandeep, and Sandeep told me, wonderful, you want, you want my job? Not a problem. We'll teach you how to be a manager. Here's a project. You go, own it, figure it out. And in two weeks, we're going to meet and talk about how you've done, what we've done uh, well, what you could have done better, and how we can learn from this. So instead of, uh, one, being worried about his job, and two, telling me what to do, he just gave me something and let me run with it. And it was life-changing because I suddenly got the ownership. I suddenly got somebody who believed in me and uh yeah that was that was great very nice i want to get your job great let me help you do that here's a project for yeah. you to get started basically yeah basically 
Uh, how did the project? How did the project go? Did you achieve what you needed to achieve in time? As far as I remember, yes, I definitely hit quite a few uh, roadblocks. Uh, I was just beginning. Uh, I was just starting uh, to learn how to manage people and how to manage projects and how to understand. Apparently, you needed timelines that depended on other people. And apparently, you need to do some planning. And apparently, you need to meet with uh, a different team to talk about it because it depends on them. And you also need to communicate it to all the stakeholders. And so, it was definitely a wonderful learning experience. And uh, as far as I remember, we delivered it. Very nice. What was your biggest challenge there? You talked about a lot of things that, and you know, that come with managing a team, the organizational part, the communication part, the empathy part, the the delegation, a lot of different things, right? Do you remember any of those being in a bigger challenge than the rest? Absolutely. So uh, the thing that I found the most challenging was to plan for, like, was to plan out the project. Because up until then, most of the times I either worked by myself or if you work in a team, I would own the uh, feature. I would either get assigned tickets or I would own the feature, but I never had to plan all of the dependencies and all of the communication and what will the timeline look like considering that I'm not the only person who's delivering it. And so that was definitely a big challenge for me. And Andy worked a lot with me on that. And, uh, I want to believe that I've gotten much better at that. Nice. Did you finally get Sandeep's uh, role? I did. Company? Believe it or not. Believe it or not. I did. Uh, it was not uh, what anybody had in mind, but basically, um, so the startup was owned by Walmart and Walmart decided that uh, they were shutting down the company and all of the engineers had to roll into Walmart. Okay. And Sandeep decided that he wanted to go and work for a different company. So he left. I was always vocal about how I wanted to be a manager and I got the opportunity. And that you was were my... ready. You were, you got the I opportunity, was... but you were, you, you got, you had been getting ready for the opportunity. So with the opportunity yeah. arise, you were already there. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was my official first job as a manager. Nice. Do you still uh, stay in touch with Sandeep? Yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not, he lives basically across the street from where my new office is. Wow. So sometimes I run into him on the street. Did, did, you, did you tell him that all the things that you learned because of him? I keep trying to rem uh, remind him that he was definitely a big influence in my life and my career. So super grateful to him. That's very nice. And now you are being the Sandeep of other people in your team. I mean, I've had a great mentor and all I'm trying to do is be what he was for me, for other people. If I see that somebody wants to do something, like I have an engineer on my team right now who is really interested in becoming a manager. She didn't. Unlike me, she didn't tell me straight away, straight away that she wanted my role, but uh, we're slowly handing off my responsibilities to her so that she can become a manager of that team. And uh, she's doing fantastic. Nice. And instead of uh, 
again, that's something I learned from Sandeep, is instead of telling her what to do, I asked her, what do you think is the right thing to do? And then as I asked her question, she starts thinking about things. She gets a different perspective. She's doing really, really well. Nice. That's a very powerful question, what you just said right now. What do you think you should do, right? That, that, that yes. I think, in the arsenal of a leader, it's one of the most important questions. It seems like a simple one, but it's not really a simple one. You are, no. right? It's, it's a great question. Uh, I've, once again, I've, all, uh, I've also learned it from somewhere. Uh, I think it, just in general, you need to define not the role uh, the role shouldn't define you you should define your role mm -hmm. so when my engineer and i were talking about how she wants to be a manager and i fully support her being a manager she asked me for a piece of advice she said, how should i do this how should i do that what kind of manager should i be and my answer was what kind of manager do you want to be because that's the question to you you need to understand how you want to approach things, how do you want to lead? Can, I can tell you what works for me. It doesn't mean that it will work for you because we're different. We're different human beings. Very true. Very true. Anna, during your career, you had challenging projects, projects where you needed to learn a lot, projects where you were managing professionals that maybe knew more about a specific technology that, than you, right? Oh, goodness how, me. How did you manage through that? Another great question. Uh, as engineers, we always want to solve things ourselves. That was one of the things that I struggled with when I first became a manager because in my mind, that was my definition of uh, definition of work. This is where I was useful. I knew how to write code. Suddenly I became a manager. Okay, I will have a couple more things, but I will still write code. I will still deliver uh, maybe just a point or two uh, fewer per sprint. And then suddenly I kind of just started um, getting very, very busy and I didn't have time to write the code. I still managed to do a little bit of here, uh, a little bit of it here and there, and that was for Walmart. When I joined Peloton, that was actually that was a fantastic learning experience because it made me to let go. It made me uh, let go of control. Wow. So when I joined Peloton, I joined as an engineering manager on the Roku team. I'm a front end engineer. I know some backend. I knew nothing about Roku. Roku has its own programming language, which is called BrightScript. Uh, Roku has its own platform. Roku has no libraries available to it. And suddenly I was managing a team where even the intern knew more about the platform than I did. And so suddenly I had to let go of control and start leaning onto my engineers to answer questions. But also it was an, uh, another thing that I've learned from it was 
software uh, concepts in software engineer in, in in software engineering are the same all over. Like it doesn't matter which platform you're talking about. Even though I knew less than everybody else did about Roku, I could still lean uh, lead a technical discussion. I could still suggest things about architecture because I've used them on different platforms, and suddenly you realize that the concept repeat themselves throughout the uh, throughout different platforms. So when you get the concepts right, you know how to ask the right questions. Yeah, yeah. Or you can say, hey, uh, will something like this work in here? Will something like that work in there? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Have you tried this particular um piece of software that helps you figure out what kind of API calls it's making. Right. And suddenly you realize that uh, those concepts apply everywhere. And you become technology agnostic and now you, you can lead various different teams with various different underlying technologies. Yeah. That's what I do right now because uh, I now lead um, the Roku team, the Web, uh, app web team and uh, the web tv team and they all use different technologies but i don't have to be the best engineer i have to be the best manager i have to nice. be the best leader nice where do you want to go with your career what's next for anna that is yet another great question um as i mentioned uh Right now, I am getting one of my engineers to step in to become a manager of one of my teams, which means that I'm taking myself slightly further away from the day-to-day -day operations of that team. I'm starting to think more and more about the strategy and um, what makes sense from both technological and uh, user point of view for all of the platforms. Does it mean that we need to work closer with different teams? Well, I need to go and meet those teams and understand what they're doing. And that's how I will get the first eye view on what is going on with technology and at our, at our company. So I like, I guess I like to think of myself as an, do you call it entrepreneur? Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. The one that uh, figures things out within the company. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I'm very excited to learn more about strategy. I'm very excited to learn more about um, how to bring things together and uh, what projects we can deliver within the company. Very nice. And how are you getting there? How are you learning all of that? Is it a... And I think... I don't know Sandeep, but I feel like I know him, right? So is this... <laughs> are you living through Sandeep some deep moments where someone is uh, delegating stuff with you that is pushing you out of your comfort zone and then you're learning more about strategy. Are you going, yeah. studying that somewhere? How are you learning more about that exactly. strategic point of view? Exactly that. So uh, I'm definitely pushing myself out of the comfort zone. So I need to learn more, uh, new things and things that I haven't done before. I need to redefine what my value to the company is, which means one, 
I read a lot of things about what technology leaders do. I go and meet other people that lead, uh, that lead or not even lead. I, I, I meet a lot of people in the office. I learn about what they do. I learn about their struggle. And um, I also work with, uh, with a career, the career coach, executive coach. I work with an executive coach who's helping me a lot to think differently about, about problems. So for example, when you're trying to innovate, think about the same piece of software, but think about it from the engineering point of view, from the CEO's point of view, from legal's point of view, <laughs> where is there something that you can do to make those people's lives easier and better? So. Uh, that executive coach really, really helps me to get a different perspective. And also, uh, I'm part of a tech leaders mastermind, which helps me to, re uh, to connect with other people who are going through similar parts in their career and, um, hear about their challenges and share my challenges and, uh, get that hive mind to solve a, uh, solve a problem or give me a suggestion on what I can be doing. Very nice. Very nice. Um, do you two two questions. Mm -hmm. What happens when you are in the comfort zone for too long? And do you typically get someone pushing you out of the comfort zone or do you have like an inside engine that pushes you out of the comfort zone all the time? And it, it is the second one. Uh, Honestly, so far, every job that I've left was because I was no longer as challenged and I, I started looking for something, something new. So far, I fell a ton and I keep being challenged. So for example, when I first came in, I was a manager at a team where technology was new to me. Then I took over a couple of projects. So again, something new, something interesting, something challenging took over a couple more teams, had to figure that out, had to grow as a leader. And now I've realized that there is an engineer who wants to basically take my, uh, take my place in one of the teams. I need to help her get there, step away. So, uh, I try to push myself outside of the comfort zone as fast as possible because otherwise I get bored. Right. That's not a good thing. How do you, how many people do you manage right now? Uh, 14. 14. And how do you manage this thing about, um, creating challenges with them, right? Do you see, do you sometimes see that any of them is kind of in the comfort zone and then you go challenge them with something new? How do you manage that with them? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, one of the things that I find to be, uh, there are two, uh, two things. One of them is, uh, I have one-on-ones with all of my engineers, uh, every week. So one, I know where they are and how they're feeling and are they challenged enough? I actually ask them if, if they feel challenged and I ask them, uh, is, if there's a project that they would be very interested in taking over and running with, uh, second thing, when nothing comes out of those questions, you know, sometimes that happens, um, 
I find it to be very useful to um, pull up. We have a leveling criteria and like for all of the engineers to understand that if you're at this level, if you would like to go to the next level, let's figure out what you need to do that you're not doing. And then we find those opportunities because I want to see people being promoted. You want to be some deep for them as well. Um, um, what do you think is the, the future of coding? There's a lot of things going on this week. Chat GPT four is going out, you know, it's uh, the year of AI, right? Um, it is the year of AI. What are your thoughts? Um, so I think that definitely AI is going to be as big of a revolution as let's say computers were back in the day or internet was back in the day, but it's still in its infancy. So it's not like tomorrow we'll all be out of job. It will slowly start getting integrated into our careers and to, yeah, into our lives. Uh, we'll adjust, it will adjust. It will probably make us uh, more productive, probably will create some problems, but just like internet did back in the day, you remember when um, internet became available to a lot of people in, I want to say like mid nineties, and then there was the dot com boom and dot com crash. And then it was all about, do you have a website that how Smart is your website, does it show up on Google? Is it mobile friendly? So things have evolved, but it's not like, oh, everybody got the internet. Now nobody needs, uh, nobody goes to libraries anymore. Right. So it has adjusted how we live and how we work, but it didn't happen overnight, even though the technology was probably there. I created a lot of jobs. I was a. Yeah. I started working in outsourcing uh, in 2009, and the industry of outsourcing started booming where I live in. Started, I think, in 2002, 2003, something like that. Um, none of that would have been possible without internet, right? Yeah. So there are things that yeah. just, you, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know yeah. why jobs will be available because of the new AI. That's yeah. the interesting part of the times we live in. Yeah, um, and you know, we're, I'm sure that there are people who are predicting the best and the worst. Yeah. And it's probably not going to be as good as we expect it to be or as bad as we expect it to be. So we'll okay. leave and we'll see. What do you do when you are not working? Love that. So uh, I love, I live in New York City and I love, love, love New York City. I love all of the art, theater, and music, food scene. I also have a little baby, so we go to uh, playgrounds a lot. And uh, yeah, just honestly enjoying New York City and uh, traveling when, when possible. Nice. Let nice. see the world. How do you manage your work-life balance? Uh, one thing that has very surprisingly been super, super helpful for my work-life balance and just for my career is um, having a baby that's in daycare. 
because suddenly I actually need to leave on time because daycare closes. And if I don't pick her up on time, they're going to call social services and it's kind of fun. Right. Uh, so suddenly I had to learn how to be much more productive during the day. And uh, like I said, I have to leave at a specific time. And I want to spend time with her and my family. So obviously sometimes there are days when maybe I need to start working earlier. Maybe I need to work over the weekend. That happens and I don't expect it to ever go away. But I have a husband who also loves uh, our daughter and that's when he takes over. And they go to a museum and I stay at home and work. Just like sometimes he needs to work. I take the little one out and he works. Very nice. Do you have a favorite museum that, that you go off uh, on? Yeah, so we live really close to the National uh, National History Museum. Oh, it's lovely. It's I think nice. it has all of... It is a really nice one. Like it has all of the dinosaurs. It has all of the uh, huge wave. space stuff. Yeah, I love it. Very good, very good. Um, Anna, um, I appreciate it. You've been great. I'm jealous of you living in New York City. I've been there a lot of times, and anytime I go there, I just get electrified by the energy and the the. the it's just the energy, right? And the fact that you have so many people from around the world, it feels like, to me, I will always say it, and I'm sorry for the other cities in the world, to me, New York feels like the capital of the world, right? That's the way I see it. So I know it's, uh, you know, out there, but... Well, uh, listen, uh, you will not hear uh, any protests from me on that. <laughs> I've been living in New York City for 15 years now, and uh, I'll never leave it. Awesome. Tom. Anna, thank you. We'll stay in touch and hopefully someday we'll do another episode. Absolutely. Thank you, Mateo.